you want to strike up a relationship with the person. So I remember in the early days, sort of just doing things where maybe somebody would look at me like, what are you doing? You know, but it's still a reaction. Put your hands in your pockets, you know, just a little reaction or, or not. But I think it's important to have the rapport. And from there, you're then messing around with your lighting, your processing techniques and your lenses. Adam Lawrence, welcome to the Viewfinders podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much, Graham. It's, it's lovely to be here. You're welcome. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. Your work, for me, it's a blend of a few things, like it's technical, but it's not static. There's this kind of vibe and energy and humour that really grabs my attention. I'm really interested to talk about group shots with you, which is probably t- way too nerdy on my part. Um, and also delve into your portraits. I think there's a lot to talk about, but um, bring me up to date. What have you been shooting lately? Um, Well, interestingly enough, I photographed a load of children at a primary school over the last few days. It's my son's primary school. It's like a little project where I'll go in and do the school photos, but I'll do them completely differently. Have kids with their heads sort of in wide angle, right up to the lens, you know, or sort of if they're a bit, they don't quite know what to do. I said, just put your hands in your pockets, and a little kid will put his hands in his pockets, and it's um, it's almost like a personal project, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, working with uh, you know younger younger children, and just seeing how they react and how I can get the best out of them, and for them to do natural things or maybe things where they look slightly different because I'm shooting maybe from below them a little bit, which makes them look a lot more grown up. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very, very happy with the results. But as I said, this is like a personal project. Um, on on the commercial um, side, I've just done a really fantastic composite image photographing members of the Coast Guard. One of these TV documentaries where they follow people around. You know, meanwhile back in Southampton, <laughs> you know, we've got so and so the surveyor looking at a, uh, a trip. But we we, we took um, eight people that appear in the show and we photographed them um, as individuals uh, from a locked off camera position. Uh, we'd already found a, a back plate for this image um, of, of uh, a stock library, but it had to be a kind of a, something that looks like the coast, but quite dramatic is what I wanted. Nice, lots of cloud and the sea and rocky. Uh, it's worked really, really lovely. Unfortunately, I can't share it to you right now, but I imagine once the podcast is out, you know, you might find, I can put it up there, but we've got, you know, a pilot in a bright orange, you know, we've got a paramedic who'd normally come down off the ropes of a helicopter with a, with a back, you know, with a, with a backpack. It's just a beautiful image. Can't wait to share it. Cool. I, I'm so excited. You just, what you've said, I think, encapsulates what I, I find really interesting about your work because there's, with the school project, that's spontaneous, spontaneous portrait photography. It's in the moment you're interacting with the subject and you're, you're finding something between you. Whereas with the Coast Guard thing that you described, that seems a lot more front-end planning, a lot more technical, a lot more kind of deliberate. Um, and I think that's like almost two different headspaces, really. I could imagine you being split into two different people and, and never crossing over like that do you know what i mean how see, do you... you see um it's interesting because i do think that it does cross over it, okay. it's we're talking about a subject with the coast guard which is quite stilted you know you can almost see the image of of you know a, a paramedic you know standing there with their bag you know 
it's a lot more stilted in what we do, but there's a lot of time I've worked in comedy with TV a lot where you're still chatting to those individuals and trying to get something out of them. And it's a bigger picture, but you are right. You have to sit, you have to think how they're interacting with the other characters within that frame. In this particular case, it's all of them looking to camera doing their thing. They could just be staged. Um, but in other ones, there's, there's, there's sort of elements where one group is interacting with another group that isn't actually in the frame when you're photographing them. So there's more, but generally I'm a, I'm a people photographer. Um, and it's about how I, I interact with people, which I think has been the reason for many people booking me out. Yeah, with the school, I was wondering, is that, you're, you're not replacing like the school photographer, it's just a, a different I thing. I did it with my, son. yeah, when my son was at this school, um, it started with like, let's do a yearbook, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how it started. And, and, you know, kids, you know, as I said, just getting them to do something different and they loved it and they kind of asked me to come back. It has a slight commercial element because I will sell the prints to the parents, but it's not a money-making, I mean, it's not a serious money-making exercise. It's, yeah. it's hard work. You know, I'll, I'll spend four days at the school so that I get mm-hmm. really good time with each kid. Um, when I say good time, we're not talking about hours here. We're talking about five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but a normal school photographer, I think, would go in and, and snap for, you know, a few frames. Right, next, 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 and maybe get a school of 800 done in a day. Yeah. You know, just a different approach. Um yeah, and that those pictures are for the parents, and they love them. Do they, I wondered if they, if people appreciate that they're getting like a really, really high level photographer <laughs> into photo, or they're just like, oh, it's just. Animal. I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I don't know what the percentage is, but for sure, not every, not everyone's going to get it. You know. Yeah. And, and I'll also make sure I just get a nice headshot of the kids smiling to camera within what I give them, you know, but the, the reaction, I mean, I met a mum outside the school, I'm taking the gear out, she goes, are you, are you the photographer who does, does the photos? Absolutely love it, it's great to get, she got it, you know, the fact yeah. that the kid's kicking up in the air, um, yeah, she got it, it's quite different, and I look at each one of these images and think, that could be in the National Portrait Gallery, I'm not blowing up, but that's a really classic looking image, do they yeah. get it? Probably 80% of them, not at that level, 90% of them even, but it's still, that's why it's kind of, it's, you know, it's a, photography is a learning process, and this is something different for me. You know, and come that big advertising shoot where they need lots of kids doing crazy stuff, I'm ready for it. You know. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask that. I mean, it's you're always still learning. I think that's really inspiring. So, um, yeah. let me ask then: What's your earliest memory of photography, or, or how photography came into your life in the first place? Yeah, no, it, it's a good point. So I, I've been asked this before, and, it, and it's, it's really lovely. My grandfather was a very keen amateur photographer up in Manchester, uh, where I grew up, and at the age of seven, he gave me my first camera. I think it's called a Kodak Instamatic. It's a funny thing, thing and to wind it on, you used your thumb. It was, it was obviously film. It was in the, it was in the 70s. Um, and the joy of taking pictures, my first roll of film, and getting the images back, I remember so well the adults, and it was always looking up with these angles of looking up, you know, because it wasn't framed properly. But it was an awareness of, of what you're looking at at that age. Um, yeah, so that was my first photographic endeavor. From there, I don't know how it is nowadays for kids, but 
when we were kids, um, yeah. when you had either a Polaroid or a film camera and you would get the prints when the Polaroid was magic, but you get the prints back, like you would expect to get them back next week or whenever. I just, I wonder if that is the magic of photography is completely lost maybe on, on kids it's, nowadays. If you move on to, to, to the next stage in life where people, where I got to more serious about photography in college and the whole idea of taking a picture on a black and white negative and processing that negative and then the print, you know, being in that dark room with a red light and watching an image appear mm. through the water and I don't do that anymore, but it was that, that feeling. It was just like the Polaroid feeling you just said. There was special about that, but then being more creative because you're doing the print with the first one. Okay, I need to burn in. I need to do various things to, to get it out. I think, but it's a shame that that is lost. Um, I do see a lot of the, the younger generation, or say the younger generation, you know, the kids at college or out of college in their twenties, queuing up outside the few film and processing labs there are. Like it's this magical thing, which is nice to see. But I'm not going to discount. I'm not one of these people that is like, no, it should have always been analog. I embraced digital. Mm-hmm. But I did it from a place where I knew what I could do with analog. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I was at college and wanted to be a photographer, um, I was really interested not just in the taking of the image, but how that image could be manipulated. I like the idea of everything being cross-processed or scratched up a little bit. Or there was a, there was a process we did. We spoke about Polaroids uh, back in the late eighties, eighties. But it's called Polaroid image transfer, where you take a picture on a Polaroid uh, and you wouldn't wait the full. You know, these are professional Polaroids. You'd wait two minutes usually in a system with it under their armpit. You know, and then peel it apart and get get to see what you had. You peel it apart after ten or fifteen seconds. Obviously, yeah. the image on the on the receptor, the positive, was was very faint. You could just throw that away, but it was still on that black sort of negative, and you'd transfer it to a bit of art paper. Maybe it was slightly dampened, and you'd brush down with your fingers, brush each way, and then you'd peel it apart, and bits would come away. But that basically, it was just another another way of taking a photograph that had messed up with, with how you looked at stuff, and and that always appealed to me. So you went to college to study photography then? I did. I actually went to college to study film. Uh, it was an interesting thing. I, I, you know, my grandfather was an inspiration to me. He actually gave me, a, later on in life, a, a stills camera and a, a Super 8 film camera. And um, I went to a you know, grammar school in Manchester that wasn't very creatively um, challenging, you know, you could do design technology, you could do art. I took the design technology route, but when I left school, I wasn't sure where I was going, so I did an art foundation course. This was after a year off, I took a year out, but I went to do an art foundation course, and that's where I sort of realised I wanted to go in the film and photography direction, and I went to a film college in London that had a photography uh, department working t- in tandem with the filmmakers, and I kind of ended up sort of swapping over. What was it, do you think, about the photography that that overtook the film? I think it was also getting towards the final year that I realised it was an it was an easier means to an end. First of all, right, that you're going to finish college, and if you wanted to be a filmmaker, you had to depend on so many other people to make a show real work to to get your foot on the ground. 
Whereas with photography, it was a lot easier and quicker to get a put a set of pictures together to go out. I like I, I like the smaller group idea um, and just taking taking hold of the situation a bit more quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, in those days, was it always like people in portraits that you were into, or how was your work in those days? Yeah, I mean, this was really early on, and. I always felt I was a, a people photographer. It might have been a bit more sort of documentary based. I mean, when I went travelling after college as well, it was, um, yeah, it's kind of a reportage style. I, I did enjoy placing people. Um, so yeah, I mean, portraiture, but with with whatever I had available, which is still okay. what happens today, to be honest with you. And so, when you went travelling, was that an influential period in your life? What were your sort of takeaways from that? Most of all. The reason for going traveling was just to see the world, right? Which is the best education. Whatever you did at college, to go out, especially in those days when there wasn't the internet, and it really was like going out to the wild west, you know, and, and six weeks in between sort of having any contact with your family back home, and, and it was very, very different then. So it's the experience of new cultures. Um, but obviously, there's a camera there. I remember being in India in this festival called Holi, which is. Um, very celebratory festival with lots of powdered paint being thrown everywhere. Um, and uh, with this picture of a sadhu with colour paint all over him. Um, but it wasn't the driving force. It went towards the end of travelling. I got to Australia and looked in a, a, sort of a local magazine where it was that said, if anybody wants to share a dark room, I'd hire it out for $10 an hour or whatever it was. I could go back and process some film and do some printing. I think it, the love was definitely all came back to me from there. Work-wise, then, how did how did you segue into being a professional photographer? I ended up back in Manchester after travelling over the seven years, and my father had passed away, and that's kind of try and hold his business together, which was completely different to photography. It was in textiles, and within a few months, I realised it just wasn't for me. I'd studied in London. I was back in Manchester, and my mum said, "Look, let's just wrap it up. You go to you go back to London and do what." what um, we really want to do. So I moved in with a friend, a group of artists in the area. I was starting up some art studios, with, you know, sort of old abandoned um, uh, military place. And there's one room, I think it's the old ammunition dump, that said, do you want this as a dark room? <laughs> it was already blacked out. I well, know we blacked it out, but it's very, very secure. I could put my equipment in there and the whole of this sort of... Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, thing. And, and, and so I could pick it up from there. Um... I found that my way in life, I think a lot with a lot of people, was, was a lot about who I knew as much as what I knew. And mm-hmm. um, I had a, a friend who was starting as a junior press officer at Capital Radio um, and another friend who was working for a theatre. And in those first six months, I was taking photographs of stage acts at this, this fringe theatre and I was taking portraits of um, people like Chris Tarrant, if you remember him, and, and Kenny Everett. You know, just press photos to start off with, and I did the headshots for their cards, and that sort of introduced me to the commercial side, also the theatrical and the celebrity side, I guess. Um, and that's moved on to MTV, VH1, Channel 4, Channel 5, um, and I think that's where it all started for me. Yeah, that's a great start. I wasn't sure if you were going to have been assisting or anything, but... Yeah, no, I, I did do I did do some assisting. Let's go back to that. I sort of um, 
my family have friends in Manchester that uh, the guy who was running studios that did all of Littlewood's catalogues. There's a lot of catalogue photography going right. on in the northwest. Um, studios are in Manchester, and I was like a studio runner. Um, so I got, I did get a taste for commercial photography even before I started college. Okay. Um, film course. Um, okay. What I did take from that was I didn't want to do fashion. No, that's how I found it a little bit. Um, yeah, pretentious, let's say. At the time, I just didn't see. But I got an idea of the lighting and the and the medium format. And also to shoot transparency. Um, but everything was shot on transparency film, which I'm sure a lot of people, the older people will know. But when I went, pretty much got the other part of my career, you know, my main career, and, and was doing a lot of editorial back in the day, I used to deliver transparency. And the beautiful thing about transparency is you had to get the lighting spot on. There was none of this. We can fix it on the computer later. Mm-hmm. Everything had to be lit correctly. It had to be bang on. Um, greatest, greatest learning point, I think, than moving into digital. Lots of sort of iconic 90s characters in your portrait portfolio. Yeah, there are. Just to jump into those days then, the portraits, yeah. 90s, well, how you handle portraits generally. Do you, like, your work has this energy and vibe that I just can't put into mine. I was wondering how you plan for a portrait session or how spontaneous you are or how you get that balance right and where your vision comes from if you're photographing a musician or something like that, like you said. Do you just go in and see what happens or are you going in full of ideas? You want to strike up a relationship with the person, the people that you're photographing, there's no question. And for the most part, they are there to to get good photos of themselves, to either promote a program or whatever it is, an album cover, I, I don't know. So you want to have a relationship. And once you've struck that, you have this good relationship or... I think I sort of remember in the early days sort of just doing things where maybe somebody would look at me like, what are you doing? You know, but it's still a reaction, much like the kids today, put your hands in your pockets, you know, just a little reaction or, or not. But um, I think it's important to have the rapport. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe I've always had that. Uh, and from there, you're then messing around with your lighting, your processing techniques and your lenses, you know, and how it all fits together. <laughs> I'm going to jump a little bit because I was away the other weekend and I was away with a, a, a film director and a, not film, a TV director, a couple of other people. And I was like, on my on my phone, we're in Italy. Right, you stand there, you stand there, you stand there. He goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I like to take every photo as if I'm composing an album cover. <laughs> you know, <see> these guys, <laughs> all in their sort of position. But I always thought that was a good analogy as well. Yeah, so like you're shooting an album cover, it's just got to have a, a cool kind of vibe. A vibe or something with people looking at different things. I mean, and taking that into, say, a corporate shoot. Let's well, not forget outside of the celebrities, but you know, my, I do different things. You know, I get called in to do different jobs. And I can, I can write a corporate shoot a bit like a, you know, slightly wild with the colours and, and get them looking off and in, in different positions. And they love mm-hmm. it when they see it. And then the, the press office would always say, You've got any straight ones? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So building rapport was the first thing you went to. So that's yes. something you're very intentional about at the beginning of the session. Someone comes in, you want to go straight in there and, and start yeah. building that trust. Absolutely. 100%. Um, 
So the early days, as I said, was a well-known radio station in London. And I was a little bit nervous with people like Kenny Everett, you know. Um, he was so mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just adhered to you anyway, so you let him take over a little bit. And I just think um, the early stages were just feeling comfortable with, with big names. And I think to this day, very few people phase me um, mm-hmm. when they come into that situation. I think if I ever had to photograph one of my idols who's no longer around, say Joe Strummer or David Bowie, you know, it might be slightly different, you know, mm-hmm. but for the most part, about the relationship and finding their humour and seeing if we can take them a little bit further than they normally do, which is easy with celebrities and comedians. Do you find um, sometimes with celebrities, actors, musicians, they're, they're photographed a lot, Did they ever, they're just not interested or you, you're able to get through that? Um, as I said, generally, you know, people are there for a reason. Mm-hmm. On the odd occasion, someone's really busy. Um, they've got to move on. They're not in a good mood. It doesn't happen that often. And, yeah, that can lead to situations where you feel maybe you've not got the best out of them. But there isn't much you can do about it, is it? You know, so you say, right, yeah. good to go now. That's it. You know, fine. Well, off you go. Yeah. And so, so you build that trust with someone, and then if it's a portrait, I'm, I'm, when I'm seeing portraits, I'm thinking about the things that appear spontaneous, like there's the DJs at Carl Cox, uh, there's a, another guy who's got like a cigarette, and it looks like a hat, but I think it's a record behind his head. Oh, yeah, that's Giles yeah. Peterson. Yeah, they, would take, they were a very early photo, yeah. So I'm, I think what I'm getting to is about the level of spontaneity and how you imprint. Are you imprinting your personality on the session or are you kind of, um, yeah. yeah? I definitely think that, that I am, you know, just trying to take it up to a level. You know, both of those guys are DJs and they're both up for a bit of fun, you know. Um Carl Cox, just remember to this day, great, great guy. You know, you're trying lots of different things out of the studios. I mean, if I remember correctly, Chuck, Carl Cox has got his hands on his glasses, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sort of doing that with the kids still today at the school. The kids got glasses on, but short, you know, just like put it slightly off on your nose and look at me with one eye, you know. Yeah. Um, just seeing what, what they've got in front of me to make a, make a cool image. Let's jump forward then it seems to me let me you tell me if i'm getting this right or wrong but you're doing the portrait kind of stuff and then later you're doing more of that compositing kind of group shot thing yeah was there like a segue how did one thing merge into the other do you know what i i honestly can't remember but there's definitely a a big old difference isn't Mm -hmm. (laughs) it doing the single portraits and even on my website it sort of states you know kind of one's called entertainment there's generally groups of people or pairs and then there's portraits but I wouldn't remember off the top of my head the first time I got to do a composite thing but I knew that I enjoyed the challenge I guess the, the um, technical challenge mm-hmm. on top of everything else it's the technical challenge of you're not going to get everyone in one go um, and me realise well actually it's better if I get them there's a lot of people say eight cast members of a show if I can get them individually with a backlight, I can light them individually and just concentrate on that one element, you know, where it's spread, you can get shadows from people. You can always build in shadows, but um, 
it, I think it all it definitely all started through my connections with with doing stuff for TV. You know, work to this day. I'm still doing a lot of television work, um, and I'm sure I wasn't the first <laughs> to comp people together. It's being used a lot now. You know, mm-hmm. a lot, loads and loads of shows. People just been shot individually. No, it's more and more. But yeah, back in the day, I think um, one of the early ones I'm trying to remember from my doing a uh, thing for uh, 24 hours in police custody. It was a, a Channel Four show. I'm sure it's up on the site somewhere. But um, I remember I had to first of all do some research and just put like police shows, cop shows, promotion. You know, get stuff from America and seeing what they did. Just for some inspiration, and and um, and then we decided, right, we're going to do it in what's going to we're going to make a backplate, you know, the background image, which is a cell, not a cell, but the the corridor for some cells. And I went down mm-hmm. to the police station, had an abandoned cell area, and it's quite a small corridor between, you know, the, the two sides, and I took a number of plates from the left to the middle to the right, and I got my retoucher to extend it. I knew this was going to be a bit of a, a pillar box, a letterbox image, which would give me a uh, an area in the middle to play with all the characters going to photograph. And um, actually, now I remember it. <laughs> this was one not quite usually you'd shoot against a grey screen. I say grey, not green, but I'll be very um, clear about this. Green gets some cast coming back. It's always a mm-hmm. grey colorama. And then this one, I remember now, we shot it in the actual that thin corridor. So I had to keep thinking how the three sides, left, middle, and right, were going to be. Right. Um, but I, I, I just remember shooting them individually, having an assistant being able to stand over them with a, a bit of a key light, which would represent the sort of harsh lighting on the top that was going to be at a certain angle that would get it from the left side, the right side. It was very much put out. and it was, I was very proud of that image. Um, you know, being able to think a little bit more outside of just don't plonk them into something, see how the light's working. Well, you get into that when you start. Yeah. To, I mean, if you want to, if you want to craft it, you start to think about how it goes together logically. You've you've got. To. Yeah, I was I was. You said earlier that you were quite interested in experimenting, and you said the thing with the Polaroid, and I yeah. was wondering when digital became available, if that opened your mind to just oh, these things would be possible, or you embraced it's, it easily anyway. No, absolutely. I, I think that. Um, I know that uh, on certain software, I mean, I, I use Capture One as my raw processing software. I don't know if you, you use it yourself, but I'm sure a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest ones are the people who use Lightroom. But Capture One is what I know, and, and people will, will have sessions, you know, where it's desaturated, there's a bit more crunch, there's some vignetting, you know, that are already preset in there, or, or you can make your own. I don't think anything comes close to the original analogs of cross-processing. But if you have a look and mess around, you can find different different feels, you know, that, that are slightly different and maybe maybe relate to that. So I play with a number of those sessions and I've got a series on my computer and it does go down from sort of quite contrasty black and white. Um, and I'll get some idea of how something should look on the screen as it's going on. Of course, in these sort of commercial... Um, in a commercial field, you'll 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 do something, and it goes off to a retoucher, and then it'll have its own grading anyway. But I'm thinking of those old ways, but doing it to work with digital.
okay, let's look at, for example, the email comes in or the phone rings. They want you to do it's channel four. All of your stuff looks really channel forty. Um, they want you to do a, a, a group shot for a new show. What's the process from there? I'm interested in unpacking like the front to end from there to deliverables right. and so, how it's like on the set, who's involved, who's in charge, what your place is okay. in it. Can you go through something like that for me? Yeah, right. So you want to see some of the, the pilot or some footage. You want to get a, a feeling for the show. Um, if you can. So it's not always there available quite often. There might be a new series on something, so they've got the old series. Um, I know that I've, I've been penciled for a Sky show called Brassic. I was watching. I've never watched Brassic. Apparently, one of the most, you know, uh, popular programs on there, and I've never watched it. So I've watched the first one last night. I want to get an idea, and also look at maybe what other shots have been done before, um, so I can do something a little bit different. Um, I will then insist if it's a composite shot that I really need the back plate before I put people in front. It's mm-hmm. not always possible, and there has been a few where I haven't, but you don't have, um, you won't get to, to do that special lighting. You won't know where the flashing light from the ambulance is or the, the harsh light yeah. from above. So I want to get a back plate first, and quite often I'll photograph them myself. Okay, so the back plate, just for people listening and may not understand, yeah. is the background image or it's the, the image that you're putting people into. Exactly. It's the background you point it into. And uh, if it's one you've done yourself, you're measuring the height of the camera. And when I do a backplate, I'll get my assistant or assistants to, to, to jump into different positions where it's locked off. So I also have an idea of people's heights and how they work. You know, you'll never see that, obviously, but I've got it on the side of my computer screen as I'm doing the more final stages or as I'm photographing the people, I can place them in. So I've got mm-hmm. an idea of height and stuff. Um, some... As I said, there's two ways of shooting the people. Right, some are against a grey screen, just the way it works. You might be in a completely different place to where the back plate was, or a number of them, including the, the 24 hours of the police cell shot, are done within the situ, and I just literally lock the camera off and place people in. The only difference is you've got people standing around them with lights that then get cropped out, and everyone's got this kind of surreal look where the lighting is in place. Um, yeah. So that's it, but you can build, you also sort of work as you're building it up at the time. There's always a, an art director or a, or a publicist with you who wants to see how it's coming along. Yeah. Is the art director, do they come in with a clear idea or a storyboard or you're just, it's not as tight as that? It's not as tight as that. I've generally found I've, I've got, I've got a, you know, I've got a free reign. I think when it gets to more high end advertising, you have got more of a constructed idea of how things are, but you're still going to be finding your own route through that. Mm-hmm. adding to it as it goes along and finding new things okay and so having them on hand though yeah. you can really build well, it together need, you need to gauge they're getting what they want you know I like the idea of having perspective I like people right up close to the camera and people further, further back mm-hmm. quite often they'll turn around and say oh, that's great well it's great but the producers of the show want to see everyone a little bit more in line, you know, which kind of ruins the perspective. Of it. <laughs> but it has a, you've got a commercial duty as well, you know, to keep production happy. And so you photograph everybody there. You have the ability to light everybody individually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah. everyone's perfectly lit as they were um and then on the day when it's signed off it goes away to retouchers it's out of your hands um yes to an extent i like to have control with the retouchers i like to use my retoucher mm-hmm. touchers excuse me a few, a few that i use um and and be involved in that part of the process just like i was involved in the printing when i was a student you know um I do think they are developing what I've created and I really want to be part of that. Um, sometimes it's not possible, so it's the way it is. You know, we'll just take the raw files and we'll deal with it. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. We need to make the grade close to this. This is what I've done. But, um, yeah, I think your clients are generally happy for me to have a little say as well in, in what goes on afterwards, at the very least. You know? Yeah, you're so good at those images like you're so so good at them there's the technicality of it but the vibe that i've always been seeing about your work is yeah. is usually present as well it's, it all comes together so well and it's really on brand for like channel four or something a little quirky like that so i, I just think i'm a big fan of that so i do corporate work and um it's you know they want to get a group shot and i'm I've got one client where we've got this rolling group shot we've been doing for like four or five years where people leave or they have a new service and they'll have someone else in different PPE come in and we change yeah. up the group shot. So um, I love to do that, but I had this shot a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago where there was going to be 10 people. It's an accountancy firm that I do a lot of work for. And I, so I had to go in. They've got a big space in their sort of office in the foyer and what I really wanted to do was composite. Um, but when I got there, I just, I kind of, I was like, oh, it's going to be too much of a half. And I ended up just putting massive lights and far back and just lighting the whole thing. It was okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I felt like I'd, I'd bottled it a little bit. But I, I just, I hate group shots. I don't know about anyone else, but doing a group shot with a group of people, I'm always trying to talk people out of it. Um, and get people on board with in, in the world of corporate of, of compositing. You get everybody lit, everybody's at their best, there's no crap shadows. You just can't do a group shot well, right? Yeah, listen, I, I feel your pain and I've been in those situations myself. Um, I spoke earlier about the, the album cover and corporate stuff, you know. Wouldn't it be great if you could shoot a few of those guys a little bit closer to the camera, some a bit further back and just play with it, get maybe pairs, groups of three, and then you can just concentrate on what they're doing and recreate it. You know, even if, as you say, if it's in an atrium and you've just got your camera locked off, um, it would be wonderful. You'd need to mark on the floor, I think, roughly where everyone's going to be, and if somebody does leave, then that space is then empty to put someone in. Um that you can you know, light in the same way. Um, and they probably just want it quite straight or <laughs> standing in a line, some sat in front. It's out of your control, you know, but you can just try and, and push the boundaries a little bit. And it happens all the time. I mean, I've got a job coming up that was with eight cast members for, a, for, for, the, for this comedy and, and they, want it, <laughs> they want it all in camera. They want the eight of them. And it's taken me a couple of weeks to come to terms with it. Yeah, it can work. <laughs> it can work, but I'd rather have this lot at the back, these lot at the front, this, you know, fine. Yeah. We'll make it work. And you will have to pop more light in there. And it'll have to be more lit from the front, because obviously, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise you're going to have the shadows that are harder to remove if you place them there yourself. 
um, it'll work. <laughs> okay, well, we'll come back to dive into one of these pictures in a minute. When you've been talking, something that's came up to to mind has been that you you're compounding your ideas and your skills. So you're you're taking things that you learned from photographing maybe musicians or singers you're adding that to the school photo shoot when you're yep. going to learn something from that that you're going to you know you're going to add to a future commercial or entertainment kind of shoot is that compounding of skills and improving as a craftsman um is that something you're very intentional about absolutely i mean you you, you want to be moving moving on the whole time and redeveloping yourself on how it works you know what you can learn from children for example and taking that back to the corporate arena or even you know um just working with different people is always going to be uh beneficial you're going to learn different things you know and you're going to be able to go into a, a boardroom of people who haven't had their pictures taken on a corporate level and know how to make them feel relaxed you know and, and, and comfortable so people skills constantly developing I say it's one of the stronger points that I've got believe it or not with everything that you see in front of you um, and the other bit of course is, is is lighting you know and how things move on with that um, and trying different different ways of lighting um, you know we spoke a bit about channel 4 and it's all it's very channel 4 so yes it does but things move on mm-hmm. you know feels that there's more of a realism now, generally in publicity photographs. They're not so into the the high pass, the the the, the cross process look as much. So I need to adapt to it, you know. Mm-hmm. But I still like taking things a little bit further because it's who I am. You should change who, guess, guess who you are, and, and you know. But you can adapt. So, of all the things that we've spoken about, what do you think your biggest strength is as a photographer? People, just just communication. Mm-hmm. with people in front of the camera, you know, and, and um, getting stuff out, you know, mm-hmm. working with people always, always. That comes across. I, I get that. It yeah. really does. Yeah. Um, that's so interesting to me. I could, I would just love to be there, see what you're doing, learn as much as I can. But, yeah. um, okay, let's talk about camera gear um, for a minute. What yeah. kind of camera do you use and, um, what's your favorite lens? Right. So, um, I, I've, for the most part of my digital career, I've been using phase one cameras or, or phase one equipment, phase one backs originally with a Hasselblad body. Uh, but in the last five, six years, um, I moved on to phase one cameras and full systems using a hundred megapixels back, um, and three prime lenses. I always use Prime in a studio environment. It's locked off. You know, you don't have to mess around. Um, in some of the other work I do, it, it, it means using a handheld camera. And I've always had Nikon equipment for that. Uh, for many, many, many years, I used the Nikon D3X, um, which is like a 24 and a half megapixel camera. And, you know, the, the, the number count of images I took was ridiculous. It's supposed to be you know, being put to rest at like maybe 100,000. Now, was it? Three million frames, and they were still going. But but um, sometimes I do work on set as a unit photographer for for TV. It's just another string to the bow. Very very interesting because you don't have a full team of people. You're working on the back of a film crew, Mm -hmm. um, TV crew, and 
you have to be quiet and not get too much in the way, but you still need to have a voice to make sure they know you're there and you've got to get your shot. So that is um, a different way of dealing with humans. <laughs> mm-hmm. But most importantly, when they're filming, you need a silent camera. And the new mirrorless mirrorless cameras have, have, have solved that so well. It used to be you put a box around your camera, it's like a blimp, to keep it quiet. So my latest purchase as of December, um, just gone, is a pair of Nikon Z9s, which okay. has to me, just been revolutionary to the extent that I'm using them in the studio as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit... Um, yeah, I've heard. So, I'm on the Z... I'm getting a Z something. I just... Right. Anyway, I'm saving up. Let me put it You're that saving way. saving up. It's not cheap, but you revolutionize. Are you, are you on Nikon yourself? You, I you? am. Yeah, but it's... You know, it's like the body. Okay, fair enough. But now it's, I need to get different memory cards. I think it might be different batteries than I use. And it's just... that all kind of adds up. So, I need to save a bit harder than I have been. They also have um, Z lenses, you know, for that. They're just bigger when they fix on the camera. And you can find an adapter, but you'll lose half the stuff of light to work with your old lenses. It's all fine. Mm-hmm. But if you are investing, <laughs> you're going to get out there and work a bit harder. It's worth getting the Z lenses as well. Yeah. With um, your lighting, do you bring in your own lighting or do you just does it belong to... The- yeah, I've got a fair deal of my own kit. You know, I've got um, a load of ProPhoto the eight A's mm-hmm. for a few generations back. Generally, I've always bought second-hand equipment, um, and usually, again, people that I know, I, when, when um, Wex was known as Calumet, and previous to that, they'd be selling off their old higher equipment, and it would be covered by their you know people to repair it if it went wrong. Um, and that I used to use Boeing's the whole time, and I accumulated maybe about 15 packs 20 heads all in various states of disrepair by the end of it all they just start failing all over the place but I currently own um, three 8A packs and six pro photo heads um, which generally are very good they're a lot faster Mm -hmm. than Boeing's but um, they're not worth the price to buy them brand new that's for sure yeah they are expensive but do you find with six heads that that's enough for? If it's not, I can hire him. Get in, yeah. I can definitely hire him. But it's it, it's it's enough for most mm-hmm. most things, you know. Um, I've also got some battery operated ProPhoto heads, B ones, okay. you know, there, mm-hmm. which has been revolutionary because you just you don't need a plug in. You can be outdoors, you know. I've got like four heads and two packs. Uh, two packs, yeah, four heads. Yeah, <laughs> no packs. Yeah, eight packs. Um, so, okay, yeah. and then you're tethering into the computer, camera one, uh, capture one. Wherever I can. Yeah. Wherever I can, because you can see exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, um, occasionally the, the, the whole process of shooting too fast can cause problems with the tethering, and I just pull it out. I'm going to shoot a card, <laughs> and I'll give you the card at the end, just to carry on, you know. I was wondering how you find the rhythm of shooting tethered. I'll shoot tethered as much as I can nowadays um, because it slows me down in a good way and it helps me to be more consistent. Yeah. Um, if you're shooting you know, a bunch of headshots or whatever, you want that kind of consistency, uh, in at least in the shape of them. You know? um, yeah. How do you find that? Sometimes, like you say, you just have to get the camera in hand. What's best for you or does it depend on that situation? In an ideal world you'd have a tethering situation that doesn't jam up 
you know, have issues. Well, wait a minute, we just got to reboot the computer. It just mm-hmm. it happens. It's a pain. But, you know, in an ideal world, you would have a lighting assistant and a digital assistant, you know. Uh, in, in the real world, it's, you know, it's usually one person doing mm-hmm. everything, you know, but ultimately it's just to get it up on the screen. And if you can keep it on the screen, the benefit of that, but anyone who's there watching, you go, we've got it. I know we've got it. It's like, great, move on next. Yeah, you know? yeah. Okay, thanks for that. Um, this brings us to a round I call Double Exposure, okay? I'm going to ask you about right. one picture that I've taken a shine to, and then I'll bounce it back to you to tell me about one maybe that's got a great backstory or anecdote to go with it, if that makes sense. So, because we've talked about the compositing, I wanted to go somewhere completely different. There's a photograph here of Lily Ebert, or Ebert, I don't know, Holocaust survivor. Oh, Lily, yeah, 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 wow. Again, wow. I just yeah. think you're so diverse in your work. We've got the compositing stuff within that, there's kind of wacky stuff, and there's more straight stuff, like I noticed the Effie, the Effie yeah. Cup picture, it's kind of straight up composite. And then in the portraits, again, wacky celebrities, and then something like this, which is very, very human. Um, what can you tell us about that shoot with that lady? Sure. So this this was photographed for the Holocaust Educational Trust, um, and uh, through a uh, another company called Creative and Commercial, who uh, deal a lot with um, kind of Jewish related uh, charity. It could be like cancer care, it could be like school prospectuses, but they were working in hand with the Holocaust Educational Trust because a lot of the the majority of Holocaust survivors are coming to an end now. You know, there's really not many left. And here we've got Lily Eber, who, who lives um, in North London, not far from me. Um, and they wanted a photograph of her initially, just her arm with her, with the tattoo she had from Auschwitz, really faded, holding her, I think it's a great granddaughter's hand, mm-hmm. you know, clean and lovely and young, you know, it's supposed to be a very straightforward thing, but obviously at the same time, they could just do with some portraits of her. I mean, look, with Lily, it wasn't, it's an incredible picture, but that is her personality. She's such an incredible, incredible person um, to to be around, so inspiring, you know, and and her, the whole reason of the campaign is, you know, when these things go, it's going to be harder and harder to remind people of atrocities that happened then and how it relates now. Um, yeah. I felt a lot for the cause, um, but in that space with Lily, it was all about the hum- humanity. You know? She survived. She's got a book. I read the book on after seeing her. You know, incredible story. You know, her and her sisters um, surviving together somehow through through these things and all the stories. And there was a, um, a ring around her neck that she hid in the sole of her shoe through mm-hmm. all of this. You know. In a little space in a shoe, um, but when we got talking, <laughs> she, she was just a joy. You know, I can jump on the table <laughs> if you want to. I can do this. She, she's a bundle of fun. I mean, you know, people should try and follow yeah. her uh, on Instagram. She's got an Instagram thing run by her oh, great okay. grandson Dolph. Yeah, Lily Ebert. Um, she, 
it's a sad but truth is she's not going to be around that much longer she's one of the last but the life in that, in that lady is so inspirational mm. yeah it, it really i hope i caught it in that one moment of uh, throwing her yeah back. you did yeah let me throw it back to you is there a picture and a story a shoot that just stands out for some reason the normal point of this question might be like, have you got your favourite picture you've ever taken? You know, and I do. I'm not even sure if it's on the website. It might be in the archive. Um, but there's a, an image of five of my friends in the sea. It's in Miami, and everyone's looking a bit de- deraggled and strange. And quite, <laughs> it's not colourful. It's a black and white shot. But I don't know if you've I got do, it in yeah. front of you. It's taken... So that's taken on 35mm film on a, on, in 1994 on what's called a Horizon camera. I think they were made in Russia. And it, um, <laughs> it's a strange little plastic thing. It didn't look like it was made that well, but the, the lens itself moved around in a sort of, in, a, in an arc. And it sort of pa- painted the light in a strip across probably, you know, one and a half times the normal width of a, of a regular 35mm okay. frame. And it's quite a wide angle lens. So if you bend down, the horizon was bent, and which worked perfectly for this shot because we've got the, the sea in the background of Miami. And basically, it's a moment where we've gone away for a friend's stag weekend in Miami, and that was the morning after the night before, and, and it just summed up the sort of surrealness of of being out there. And it's my favourite mm-hmm. picture. Not taking a composite, not <laughs> with lights in the studio, just a handheld strange camera on the sea yeah i think that sums up though it's all about people a little bit of camera yeah quirkiness in there and um captured a really good moment so it has a perspective as well you know i was talking before about someone being back someone being forward and it was a moment i mean i caught five people in frame rather than shooting them individually (laughs) so that's the luck was on my side with that one cool okay thanks for that that brings us to The final round, which is the quick fire round called Motor Drive. Um, so some quick fire questions. Okay, if you're ready. Go. All right. Wide angle or tele... Saying it again. Wide angle or telephoto? <laughs> Wide angle. Okay. Color or black and white? Color. Expensive lens cloth or the corner of your shirt? Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm going to say expensive lens cloth. I just wish I used them. Sorry for all yeah. <laughs> um, what's a weird thing I can find in your camera bag? Digital digital tape measure in angles, making okay. sure that it's always the same distance for the things we were talking about before. Okay, so you have the camera locked down. You need to make sure of your measurements, measure, height. Distance, yeah. I've got an assistant with like a load of notes to match one to the other. You know, Coast Guard, just very quickly, we shot in two different two different situations. One was in, in Southampton, the other was in Newquay, and the pictures had to match. So to do that, everything needed to be the right distance, along with the right, um, yeah, and the, the powers needed to work on the packs as well. It was exactly the same. I spoke to Gregory Heisler, um, who was one of my big heroes, and I was asking him about this shot he took of Denzel Washington. It's like a double exposure. It, it's a really, really cool shot. And it's got this energy because of this shift in the double exposure. Um, and I was, but I was like, I mean, I've kicked the tripod enough times to know that you kicked the tripod, right? So he was like, yeah, he kicked the tripod. So what do you do on these when you kick the tripod? It's inevitable, right? Yeah. 
And I also think that however much you're trying to be precise, you're always going to have to have room for movement, and it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. It just isn't, as long as you're roughly in the same place. It might even be that you're camera's locked off it's just gone down a little bit by a few millimeters yeah it's not the end of the world you know retouchers can sort out those minor things you know without saying yeah do it on the map later no it, it can be sorted if you mess up a little yeah but you never want to have that uh, fix it later attitude right no um, you don't you don't you definitely you don't but okay. i'm just saying there is room there is a bit more room for adjustment than you know we need to be a bit Okay, name a photographer we should all know. Someone, your hero, an influence, or just someone with great work. Um, uh, I'm going to say David LaChapelle. Okay. I mean, if most people should know his work, but if they don't, and you look at mine, especially the colour stuff, you might see a few influences. Okay. I'll say another one as well. For sure, yeah. Richard Avedon. Avedon. Yeah, Avedon, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> and that that picture you mentioned before of Charles Peterson with the disc behind him, the you know what you call a cigarette out there. But I think you might find it's a jazz cigarette. Um, <laughs> he <laughs> was done. I think the borders on there. That very that was influenced by Richard Avedon. Um, okay, exhibition that just come out. I was um, I was just studying Avedon not long ago. Okay. It makes me sound like very serious, but I was just had a bit of a dive into his work for a couple of weeks. And I was so inspired. I mean, I, and if there's some interviews on YouTube, like the guy just gets it. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was the master. <laughs> Incredible. You know, yeah. and, and, and going back to his, his era or my era, <laughs> younger, I was doing portraits on five, four cameras whenever I could. Mm-hmm. And then I twist it a little bit and change the planes and get bits and pieces out of focus. All right. What's your go to emoji? Thumbs up. <laughs> just just plain old okay it's quicker than writing yes good. yeah okay it works <laughs> yeah i mean it is you know and it, you know emojis i'm still getting used to them you know i've got, I've got a sister who loves the social media and emojis and laughing out loud and i just it's just getting used to it really <laughs> what's yours graham uh my one is um there's a guy like sort of face palming oh, okay. or shrugging I think right. that works for most things. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I can send a shrug for almost anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, when do you feel at peace with the universe? Um, it always used to be, you know, when a good campaign has come out, a good image, you're really happy with it for yourself, putting it on the screen, putting it big. That That is a great moment, you know. And now I'm a bit more holistic about the whole world. <laughs> mm-hmm be happy with what you've got you know family one boy you know life's good <laughs> yeah yeah we do something we um yeah so many people get a chance to do um i want to thank you for your time adam i've had to hold back from diving into every composite shot that's on your yeah. website because i want to ask about everyone but um for the sake of keeping people listening I've decided just to not do that. Yeah, so, yeah. But, board, um, we're going to board a pants off them. Have a look I at know, the pictures. Right? That says it all. But yeah, I appreciate you. Really a fan of your work and the diversity. And I think you, you're really onto something. You've got a future here, definitely, for sure. So thanks for your time. <laughs> and Graham, I have to say thank you so much for inviting me on. I mean, I'm, I'm actually quite honest. Oh. Really good, man. You've got a, got a lovely voice. 
Thanks. Face to match too. Thanks, yeah. Adam. Appreciate it. <laughs> That's it, man.